Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Locked In Podcast. My name is Ani. My name is Shree. And this is episode nine. Today, we have a very special guest. He's currently the assistant coach for the Dallas Mavericks, who's also the 1999 NBA Most Improved Player and Sixth Man of the Year. That was the first time and only time in NBA history that both those awards have ever been won in the same year. He's had a long NBA career, and now he's here to talk with us on our podcast. Please welcome Mr. Daryl Armstrong. Yeah, so to start off, we, we wanted to talk about your journey to the NBA because I think it's a pretty amazing one. You only played on your high school basketball team as a senior. You played for three years in college while also playing football, uh, then two years internationally before coming into the NBA. Do you feel like your journey and the hurdles you had to overcome made you work even harder when you came into the NBA and eventually made that made you into a tougher player? Well, I mean, for me, um, you know, um, as an African-American, my mom, she's always been a hard worker, and I always seen that in her. She used to get up 5 in the morning, cook breakfast for her, her, her um, late husband. He's passed now, um, my stepdad. And, um, but also go to work, uh, from six to two. And then also work for uh, a family called the Grays. Uh, she basically just cook and clean and she was just doing everything. I wouldn't see my mom to six, six in the afternoon, but she instilled that in me. She showed me hard work and not, for me, not knowing what I'm seeing, it was incredible that. I picked up on it, and, and for me, not even knowing that I picked up on it, it taught me a lot how to work hard. And, um, you know, for me, going to my last year in high school, not liking basketball. I, I mean, I didn't I didn't like basketball. I mean, I'm not going to say I didn't like it. I mean, I was in love with football. You know, I played football for 13 years coming up. And um, us getting put out of the state playoffs, a game before the state was devastating and we had the home field advantage. And then I just said, I don't want to go home and just sit around and do nothing. So I said, I'm going to try for basketball. Even though they had already started basketball, there was like five or 10 games into the season. And um, the coach let me come out and, and, um, he let me try out, and I ain't going to never forget, he, he he came to my class, and uh, he said, um, this was, and, and, and I learned a lot because I got um, put it into my hometown Hall of Fame that James Worthy, Sleepy Floor has been in, guys who was before me, um, but he was coached under Roy Williams. Roy Rims was the, uh, the JV coach at North Carolina. Didn't know that until he spoke at the um, Hall of Fame. And um, wow. so, so he was the assistant under him, but he was teaching us North Carolina things in high school. And i never forget, he came and got me out of class. And um, he, said, um, he said, I like how you work. He said, you can be the third team man on the third team man team. He said, you're not going to get much playing time. And that was honest, and I appreciated that. He said, you're not going to get much playing time, but you can help us out in practice. Well, I, I became one of the two or three best players on the team, which was crazy. And uh, 
you know, I end up we end up making the playoffs in the in the playoffs, uh in the in the state playoffs and we got beat by West Charlotte, who's in um Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm from Gastonia, North Carolina. And um it ain't about ten, fifteen minutes from there. But from there I just fell in love with basketball. And um next thing you know, I'm in college and I'm playing intermirrors, you know, and I get picked up my third year in the mirrors from a coach called Raymond Duma. Ray, I'm sorry, Ray, Raymond McDougal, who was the interim uh, coach for uh, in the mirrors. And he picked me up and uh, he was the interim mirror coach for the basketball team my third year. And um, next thing you know, after that, Coach Capel, who's passed, that's my late Coach Capel, his son coached for the University of Pittsburgh. Um, he he had, um, and I went to a black college, so we don't have announcements like the white colleges. I'm sorry, the, the Division ones. We don't have the announcements. I remember Coach Capel just walking into the gym, him and Mark Klein. Mark Klein played at Wake Forest University. And they walk into the gym and say, we are, we are your new head coach. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> okay. So, uh, but he was the first coach to ever say that I could play on the next level. That's the first person and the only person I ever heard say I could play on the next level. And I took that to heart and he gave me drills to get better. And, and I've done them. And 25, 26 years later, here I am. You know, and uh, it's amazing what one person can say to you to make you get on that journey to get where you want to go. And he did. Well, that's super impressive. And I kind of wanted to ask you about how you mentioned you were a football player. So I've seen a lot of say, a lot of articles saying you were a wide receiver and a kicker when you played. So I kind of wanted to ask you when when you started playing basketball, were there any lessons from your time as a football player that kind of stuck with you? And also... It's kind of a two-parter, but how does the the training regimen kind of differ between basketball off-season training and football off-season training? Well, um, to be honest with you, I was trying to play. <laughs> I was trying to play the quarterback position. And then um, they was like, nah, that's not your position. And they moved me to wide receiver my 10th grade year. And I, I remember running a, a post pattern. He threw it out there, and um, for me, my I used to have some. I used to have some cousins used to make me play, make me play tackle football, make me play tackle football. It was um, my cousin Rodney Joe and Odell Armstrong, and they said when you play football, you you better not cry because they <laughs> played at the same high school I played way before me. They told me you better not cry. This is a this is a tough tough sport, so it it, it taught me how to be tough. And uh, I would never forget when I ran that pattern. He threw the ball out there, and it was long, and I dove for it and caught it. They said you are a wide receiver, and I remember catching six touchdowns that year. Um, but um, at the same time, the, the varsity was trying to move me up to kick, and I didn't want to move up. And just to be a kicker, you know, <laughs> at, the, at that time. But, um, you know, things, I mean, for me, it's just 
you know, things taught me how to be, how to be tough, how to be motivated to do things, how to be, um, you know, where, you know, um, you just have to believe in yourself. Um, because at the end of the day, um, I just, I'm, at, the end, at the end of the day, I just, I just wanted to just to play. I just wanted to be a person who's going to prove itself. And uh, for me, I've done that. Um, you know, um, I'm, I'm small in stature, I'm, I'm skinny, but when it comes to being a person with heart and desire and motivation, I have it. I don't know where, I, well, I do know where I get it from. I get it from my mom and I get it from God. And um, I make things happen. I mean, I've been in a position where, you know, people have tried to cut me, you know, even from the, the USBL. And that was one of my biggest leagues coming into the NBA, how, to got, how I got into NBA summer camp and NBA camps was the USBL. And the coach told, told me, you know, uh, he said, I was trying to catch and by my desire of outworking people, not playing people, I've been I've been able to, you know, make teams. So, you know, those those are the little things that adds up to be big things for me. What was your second question? Sorry, it was just I was asking like how the like the workouts and the training kind of differs and what they really target when you're training for football season versus basketball. Um. You know, I don't know if they're different. Um, when you train, you train. Um, mentally, it's just, you know, you thinking what you have to do is if it's football or if it's basketball. Um, you're always going to be on, on, the, on the field or you're going to be in the gym. Um, you're working on your craft. And, you know, for me, um, you know, for football, I... You know, my 11th grade year, my senior year, I was just kicking. And I, I could catch. I mean, I was a hell of an athlete when it comes to catching the football. But for, for me, I, I knew what my duties was. I knew I was going to kick the ball. You know, when I told you I was in the 10th grade, they tried to move me up. And I didn't kick the ball well that time when they moved me up. And they just moved me. They just kept me down at the um, sophomore year of my JV year. But when I got to my junior and senior year, I was the kicker. And uh, so, you know, as a basketball player, you know, I only played one year of high school. So my, my senior year, I was just playing. And I was practicing. You know, practice made me better. And as I got better, I became the second or third best player on the team. So, you know, you just got to you gotta work at your craft. You, you know, it's no different. It's, it's about hard work to me. And that's how I got That's how I need to put it. If you gotcha. work hard, you know, if you work hard, my college coach, Jeff Caper, said, you work hard, you play hard, good things are happening. And that's that's all I've done. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. I'm <laughs> not going to sit here and say, I went out there and shot a thousand shots. No, I did not. You know, no, I did not. I shot maybe 500, but I didn't shoot a thousand. Um, I just worked hard and everything I've done. And, and um, like I'm saying, good things happen. I always believe in what he said and what he's done and look at me now i'm 25 26 years into the nba 
Definitely. So the NBA that, that you came into now, now transitioning to your career in the NBA is very different than the NBA today, especially with regards to how prevalent the three ball is and how spacing on the floor is with, again, all with perspective to, to how prevalent the three-pointer is right now. So in, in your transition from being a player to being a coach, and especially over these last five or six years, have you had to change the way that you see the game to adapt to this new three-heavy NBA? Yeah, it's just the, the physicality of the game. Um, you know, back in the day, you can, you can put a forearm on a guy all the way up the floor. Today, you can't do that. That's a foul. Um, you know, the, the, the game back in the day when I first started playing, we didn't have zone. You know, we had illegal defense where, where Shaq would be on one post, Penny would be on the other side, and they just playing a one and two man game. And on the other side is a, is a um, three man game on that side. But if you, the illegal defense was, if you cross a visional line, you had to go double Shaq or Penny. You couldn't just sit there. Now we got zone. You know, we have a zone in the NBA now. Now it's like illegal defense is you can't be in the lane. So it's it's a big it's a big difference. Um, that's why I enjoyed the last dance, watching that and um, just remembering how the game was played back in the day. Um, you know, and, I, and 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 no disrespect to all the the old NBA players and and no disrespect to the young NBA players. It's a lot of guys that can play back in the era today. And there's a lot of guys today that couldn't play back in the era. Because it was it was physical. It was it wasn't the fake push in the playoffs, you know, I'm I'm tired of seeing you. Nah, it was punching your face back in the day. And that was you know, that was fun. That's 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 why the last dance, when I watch it, as I was a kid, I was going into college watching Michael Jordan have to get through Detroit Pistons and not saying like LeBron James, I'm gonna leave Cleveland and go join two all stars. No. What I'm gonna do is we just lost the conference finals to Detroit. I'm getting in the weight room the next day or the day after, and I'm going to get stronger, I'm going to get better, and I'm going to prove to people that I'm going to get past the Detroit Pistons to get to my NBA Finals. So, you know, that's, to me, that NBA was, was so special back in the day. And it was, I mean, I, I, I loved it. I enjoyed it. As a, and, I, and I still wasn't a basketball, big basketball fan. You know, I was still a football fan. and uh, But but you had to be a Jordan fan. You know, I I was a Jordan fan. I, you know, James Worthy is from my hometown. State of Florida is from my hometown. James Worthy played with Mike at college and won a national championship. And, um, you know, James Worthy showed me that, you know, I'm from a small town. I'm from right outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. Gastonia is right on the map. But, you know, James Worthy and Sleepy Floyd showed me that being in a small town don't mean you can't do big things. And I, and, you know, that's, that's something I've done. And, and my story is, in a, is, is very incredible. Um, because like I've said, I, I never looked to 
to to be in the NBA until I heard my college coach say that. I always want to be a professional NFL football player. That was my goal. So, you know, you know, little things add up to be big things, and that's what I can say. That's what I have done. Well, you definitely made your name as an NBA player, and I kind of wanted to focus on your role as a point guard in the league. So back when you were playing in the mid-90s, early 2000s, compared to what it is now, I'm sure there's like some fundamental differences just in the way players approach kind of offense as a point guard and like how much scoring responsibility they have to manage, some of the more technical things. So kind of given given that and your experience as a point guard and working with point guards on the Mavs, like like Luca, like Jalen Brunson, what what have you noticed specifically in the point guard position that's kind of different now compared to back when you were playing with Orlando or or Dallas? Like, what are some of the subtleties you've noticed? Well, if you if you go back and look at uh, the old tapes and things, especially with the Pat Riley teams or New York Knicks or Miami, you know when if you was a point guard and you was a good point guard, we trapping you. We're not we we're not letting you just come off the pick and roll and shoot the ball. No, they trapping you. And um today game, the big man is so far back. It's the it's the, whoever guarding that point guard or the two guard, he's back. All the all all the two guard and one guard gotta do is get that guy hit on the pick and roll and he's shooting the three or he's shooting a wide open shot. That's the biggest difference to me. Um, uh, you know, from the it used to show a show was a step out there, make the guy veer out. A trap was get the ball out of his hand, trap him, get it out of his hand. Today, look at the game because analytics has the big man so far back that the guard is basically working in the pick and roll by himself. And I always remember Derrick Fisher. Uh, I'm sorry, Derrick Fisher was uh, in with the Lakers, and that was. The, the the defensive principle for the Lakers was we're going to put Shaq in the pick and roll. Shaq always stayed back, and Derrick Fisher had to work by himself. I used to feel so sorry for Derrick Fisher because, <laughs> you know, as a point guard is I need my big man up because what you want to do is I want to get the ball out of the, the guy's hand who's most important is the point guard. Now. Sometimes I watch Steph Curry. He comes down in the pick and roll. The big man's back. All he got to do is get his guy hit on the pick and roll, and he's shooting that three-pointer wide open. And he's a great, uh, unbelievable three-point shooter. So that's the biggest difference to me in the game um, is that we don't, with the pick and roll, with analytics, you know, it's, you know, I don't know. It's just. Don't they, they lead the basketball, and you can't lead the basketball when you're trying to stop the, the most important guy. Steph Curry is two-time MVP, and and guys, teams don't trap him. <laughs> I'm 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 telling you, teams do not trap him. Get the ball out of his hand and make other guys who's not used to making plays do things make funny because you you see players like Devin Booker sometimes getting trapped and they'll start complaining like oh I'm getting trapped and getting double teamed and it's like dude everyone back in the day used to get trapped and double teamed what are you complaining about right because he's not used to seeing that exactly yeah get trapped 
and uh, he, he he gets frustrated because you know even when I played with AI, um, even when I played against I'm sorry when I played against AI, I'm, we used to have an eight game winning streak against Philly. Um, you know I I used to guard AI and I think the best thing for AI when Larry Brown got to the team and started coaching. He put Eric Snow at the point guard, and he put AI at the two guard. Before that, it was so easy to guard AI because all I did was pick him up full court. Mm-hmm. And he's not a he's not a point guard. AI is a two guard, and I used to pick him up full court. And it was so easy to guard him. But when he when Larry Brown got to the team, he put him at the two guard, and I had to chase him off of screens. Oh my god. Oh my God! Unstoppable. That's the thing about Steph Curry, because the Warriors. I I feel like when you said people don't really trap stuff. The problem is when you have Draymond as your role man, and you have Durant, or at least when KD was there, you have Durant and Clay out on the wings. Like how how do you justify doubling Steph in that case? First of all, first of all, what I would do as a coach, me as a coach, and I believe in defense. You know, if, a lot of teams now believe in offense. What I do as a coach, if if Draymond gonna bring the ball up, I gotta have a guy that could pressure him. Cause when you watch Draymond bring the ball up, nobody pressures him. He's has he has a, a a leeway of making plays. He nobody's on the ball. Guys are just standing there with his hands out like this. <laughs> we call that airplane defense. <laughs> And Draymond can just pick guys. He can pick the pass that he wants. Pressure the ball. To me, in the NBA, into college, in any sports, I'm sorry, in any high school or elementary or middle school, you pressure the basketball. Very important. But when you let a guy just stand there and pick you apart, that's why Draymond gets the triple-doubles. Because nobody's pressuring him. Now he not only do he have the envy, the two time MVP coming off this screen, <laughs> then you got another guy named uh Clay Thompson coming off this screen on the other side. You got two shooters. And nobody's pressuring. I I can just pick you apart. And um that's that's the lost art in this game that defense has been lost in this game. I'm not gonna tell you no story because Back in the day, defense was played, and it, and I guess it was born to fans and born to the NBA because the NBA has always tried to make offense a present in in this game. And you know, look 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 back at some of the last dance when Chicago played um, the Sonics. You know, oh. I saw a game. You know, and even with the Knicks, or what, I saw games eighty-four to seventy. I saw games ninety-four to eighty. I'm like, yo, that's crazy, because back then, you know, defense was very important. Defense was gonna win you game, win your games. That's how Detroit Pistons won their two championships. That's how Michael Jordan won it. You know, so you know the game is like I say. Defense has really changed. The schemes has really changed. And but if I was a head coach, I'm not letting guys who I know can do it beat me. No, I got to see the other guys do it. And and that's that that was that's how I grew up in this game of the NBA. 
we're going to trap AI. Or we're going to do this. You know, the way I had an eight-game winning streak with AI was I would get up on him. And he was he, he, he's incredible. He, he, he was going to do things that, you know, as a score that, that he can do. But I always depended on my big man's behind me. I knew I schemed. I want to make him put the ball on the floor and make him make tough shots. I wanted him to always take you're gonna make you're gonna make 30, 35 points, you're gonna take 30 shots. You're gonna take other guys out of the game because of the shots you're gonna take. And that was my goal. So speaking of AI and you know the Warriors and coaching against them, who is the toughest player that you've guarded either in practice or in a game? And who's the toughest player to scheme against as a coach? AI. AI, and I'm going to say, I'm going to be honest with you. Back then, uh, every point guard in the NBA couldn't embarrass you if you're not ready to play, if you don't know their game. Point guards back then was was so unique and so nice. Even the two guards. And in practice, I mean, practice never, for me, I never played anyone. I, I say Troy Hudson, Chucky Atkins, um, Jason Kidd. My last year, but I, at, the, at the, my last year, I was a veteran. I was already, you know, I was known to be in the league. But Penny Hardaway, Brian Shaw, my first couple of years, um, those were the guys I, I had to go against. Was Brian Shaw and Penny Hardaway, and uh, they prepared me. For practice, they got me ready for practice. Um, they prepared me for games, even though I wasn't playing because I was playing a game in my head. I was playing a game in practice, um, and then they was six 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 eight. You know what I'm saying? They they was guys that could do it, and um, thank God that I had those guys to get me ready for you know going out there and playing every night. Um, so I appreciate the, those guys because um, even though they didn't want to do it, I'm, I always remember Brian Shaw used to call me the Tasmanian devil in practice because I always played the game in practice. You know, that was my game time. You know, my first two years, I didn't play. You know, if I did, I played garbage minutes. Yeah. So, you know, um, those guys always prepared me. But any guy who was – that I had to play against was any point guard with a Steve Nash, Jason Kidd, Stephon Marbury, Allen Iverson, and the list kept going on down and down from that. Yeah. And you can get embarrassed easily in the NBA if you're not ready to play and you're not prepared to play against a point guard every night. Definitely. I had a quick question. So I'm – I'm six feet, and when I'm playing pickups, I feel ridiculously short, like guarding someone who's like six, 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 seven. So, do you have any tips, like defensively, how to kind of hold your ground and not really get like bullied in the post when you're like really undersized against a taller man? Well, I mean, that's that's a great question because I mean, when I when I first started playing, really got the opportunity to play after my second year, a lot of the point guards used to try to post me up from the Tim Hardaway. Um, you can go some you can go back and watch some of the playoff games when I played against him when I was in Orlando. Um, 
Do um, Joe Joe Dumas used to try to post me up. The only person I had a problem with posting me up, I and I used to guard two guards. So when I when when T Mac came to the team, because we had him to score so much, late in the game, Doc Rivers used to put me on two guards. Um, I remember guarding Latrell Sprewell, Allen Houston for the Knicks in the post. And just like what you were saying, it was, I always was taught to fight, fight, you know, just to fight. Um, so I wouldn't let them get their position. When they started walking down, I would hold my ground. And I tell our guards this today. And, and uh, Grant Hill always say this because I told Grant Hill, I say, you can't post up the point guard. You're not trying to post me up. Like I'm, like I'm, you know, him downstairs, like I'm a little guy. So um, they used to try to post me up. I, I never forget this this one time. We was playing New York Knicks at, in Orlando, and Latrell Sprewell came down and tried to post me up. And I, I knew how to play post defense at that time. I already knew. And he was posting me up, and he faded away to the corner of the baseline, and I read it so well that I got up on his shot and blocked it into the stands. And then I just did this right here in front of him. Oh, he looked like he wanted to kill me. <laughs> because because I'm 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 not six feet, I'm five eleven. You know, they list me at six one, 180 pounds. I was five eleven, one sixty seven. And um but one thing I always presented was I remember <laughs> One thing I already presented was, I remember another professor, when grandma grandma said, you'll walk over here, but you're going to limp back. <laughs> she told him, I, I'm not an easy win. You're not going to come in here and just dominate me. And I, I used to have a fight. But that, that was, those, those, all, those type of plays always took me back to my football days when I used to play tackle football with my cousin. I told you Odell and Ronnie when they used to say, yo, don't get out here and start crying. And it just took me back. And I used to always, always take that with me on the court, a battle. And I'm not scared of nobody. I don't, I, I never was scared of anybody. No fights. I'm not scared of them, none of that. But I used to always just go at it with guys. And um, Doc knew. That's one thing I always give credit to a coach. They always knew. I put Daryl on. You know, I, I used to guard Eddie Jones. I used to guard Ray Allen. I, I did guard Ray Allen one time, but I had a groin injury. I got T-Mac dunked on, and I had to apologize because I, I had a groin injury. I had to apologize to T-Mac. But I used to guard some of the best two guards. Reggie Miller, they used to start me on Reggie Miller sometimes, Doc did. Because one thing I knew, if I can chase you and get into your chest, you can't get that shot off. And I knew Reggie, he's not a dribbler. He's not a put-it-on-the-floor guy. He's a catch-and-shoot and guy. And if I can get to him, which I used to do, you know, I was good. But, you know, if I knew I didn't get to him, he's knocking down the shot. I'm going to tell you right now, he's knocking down the shot. So I used to guard some of the best players in the NBA. And what you know what, what bothers me the most? And I thought about it a, a couple months ago. It's like... And how I used to play defense, how in the hell I not get voted into being first team all player 
all defensive player. I never, I never got no defensive player votes, and that bothered me to this day. And I don't know if you go back and watch, watch how I, sometimes I I just take over games with my defense, and I never got voted in to none of that. But you know, it is what it is. But it's still a bother to me because um, I knew I could play defense. I knew I could change the game with my energy of just picking the ball up the floor, guarding guys, and you know, doing things like that. But I never got it voted for a defensive player. Hey, the voters never get it right, man. Yeah. So, but as a five eleven guy, you, you, that's how you play. You know, you guys gonna try you because you're little. So when you out there playing on that court, you know, you gotta hold your ground. And 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 you, I I never forget. Um, and I never forget when um. I was playing with Dallas, and um, we lost. We lost to New York Knicks, and um, the coach called me into the office. He said, um, "Man, I'm, I don't got I don't got locked in." But um, coach called me in the office and said, "Look, I want you to do a video on." the team, but um, I want you to do it with A.B. Johnson. I'm going to A.B. Johnson. I want you to do it where none of the coaches are going to be in there, and I want you to do it where you do it with the players. We're going to make the tape. You come in early the next day and watch the tape and then go over. And I did that, and we went on an eight-game winning streak. And the next one was, guess who? You would never believe who it was. Who was he it? Called me in the, he called me in the office again, and he said, D.A., I want you to do the same thing with, that we've done. And we're on an eight-game winning streak after he had done that. I, he said, but I want you to do it against Kobe. That year, Kobe Man. scored. Kobe scored, and I'll never forget, Kobe scored 44 points against us in Dallas. And he scored the next time we played him in LA. He scored 62 in the with, with without the fourth quarter. He scored 62 points. He scored. He's he scored 30. He scored 30. It was 30, 32 in the first half. 30 in the third quarter. That's that's just ridiculous. I never forget Stackhouse and Stackhouse was injured. Jerry Stackhouse was injured. Jerry Stackhouse looked at me and said, D.A., he said, man, if the game was close, he might score 100. This, this, is, this is no lie. He said, if the game was close, he might score 100. Two weeks later, he scored 81. Against Toronto, yeah, because the game was close that time. That's why he actually he had to play. Toronto was up in the fourth quarter. We was down like 20, so he didn't even play the fourth quarter against us. Yeah. So, Avery said, in that game, eight-game winning streak, Avery said, Avery Johnson said, I want you to do it now against COVID. And Avery, one thing I give Avery, he knew what type of player I was. He knew, he used to put me on two guards. You know, he used to put me on guys. He put me on LeBron one time late in the game. I said, I could check in the game. I said, hey, who you want me to get? He said, take LeBron. LeBron scored three points against me. 
in the last five or six minutes of the game. And he scored on a fadeaway three, uh, you know, whatever. But so we do this video again. And I told Josh Howard, Devin Harris, all the guys who was going to guard Kobe, don't let him get his position. Meet him early. So Kobe went, that next night, Kobe went five for 25. Never forget that. And the best play of the night, he had 25 points, but the best play of the night was one of his ex-teammates later on, who he won championship with, DJ Binga blocked his shot, his dunk. Kobe Hand was in the rim. <laughs> it was one of the most beautiful pitches I ever saw as the NBA. Kobe Hand was in the rim. DJ Binga Hand was in the rim like this on the ball and blocked it out. Unbelievable. And we ended up winning that game. It went on to a 13-game winning streak. But, you know, those are the little things that, you know, like I say, that just adds up. So when you're a little man or you're whatever, it's about presenting your presence. Uh, because in this in this NBA, guys going to try you and guys going to take advantage of you. If they know you can't play defense, here I come. If a, if a team knows that this team is not a good defensive team, here they come. And you're going to have to stop them and knock it off of them. That's, that's the best thing about this game. It's, it's, a, it's always about an edge in this game and I love it yeah definitely and I, it's so cool hearing stories about Kobe it's like hearing stories about Jordan but you know just makes it all the better now but I mean speaking of the Dallas Mavericks and amazing players you know uh, I know their time um, I know from your time working with Dirk and, and seeing his effect on the city of Dallas he had a monumental impact not only on you but also the team and also the people he interacted with on a daily basis with so with another potential superstar like Luka Doncic on the Dallas Mavericks, based on your work with Dirk before and Luka at this point, are there any aspects of Dirk's career that you've tried to impart on Luka and some of the other young guys on the team, maybe even Kristaps? I know he's, he hasn't been on the team for long, but. No, I mean, I, for Dirk, you know, um, you know, I got traded to, to Dallas from New Orleans. And when I came in, um, Dirk already had the blueprint. He was working. He always stayed out the practice shot. He came back into the gym at night to shoot. He was he was on his game. You know, once he figured it out, you know, Dirk was, you know, Dirk was Dirk. Um, it was nothing that he he couldn't do. Uh, he he took the league by storm. He took Dallas by storm, and uh, he was doing amazing things. Um, for Luca, I never forget hearing Dirk doing an interview and saying that uh, he never asked Luca never asked Dirk for any advice, no no advice, and I can understand that now because I asked him a question this past year. You know, I said Luca, when you went to Real Madrid. You know, your mom and, you know, your dad, everybody, did they go with you? He said, no. I said, your mom didn't never, I said, your mom didn't stay over there with you? He said, no. He said, I just stayed by myself. 13 years old, you know, Real Madrid had, I guess they had a place where all the players stayed at. And 
I said, what did you do? He, he said, I just stayed in my room sometimes, just playing games or, you know, video games. So to me, he, he learned how to be mature. He learned how to be responsible. And, and, it, and, it, and it's always, when he told me that, it went back to like, like you know, one eye. I can see the maturity in him. He's 19, but he, he's 19 living on a 30-year-old age limit to me. He, he's, he knows what he wants. He knows how to play. And um, you can't ask for no more than that. Um, so that's why when Dirk said he never asked me for any advice, he just came in and did, did what he wanted to do. You know, and I never seen him play. You know, I played in the ACB, uh, where him and Porzingis played in the ACB, and I never seen him play. Um, so we had voluntary workouts right before the season in September. My thing was to me, I always say, for me, I always, I don't, you know, everybody' eyes is different. I want to see from my eyes what he can do. I want to see how he plays, what he sees, what he sees as a point guard. The first time I watched him play, I said, oh my God. I say, oh my God. <laughs> he used to go down as one of the greats. Yo, I said, I say, oh my God, this boy can play. I say, the only thing we got to work on with him is he's got that European walk when he got a live ball. <laughs> he always moved his feet, and he and he never thought he walked. So sometimes you got to put things on film to let guys see this is what you're doing. I say if we get him down with just learning how to do, learn how not to walk. Oh my God, this boy can play. Y'all say he's 19. Oh, yo, he luck. You know, he knows how to control the game. I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna put it like that. He knows how to control a game. From passing to handling the ball to shooting the basketball, he just knows how he knows how to control the game. And um, I understand why he gets triple doubles. I understand all that, and I understand why he he puts his stamps on the game. And um, for Dirk, you know, Dirk is a big man. Dirk got to depend on guards getting him the basketball. Luca got the ball in his hand mm-hmm. all the time. But Dirk had to – and that's the difference in those two guys. Dirk depend on the Steve Nash, the Jason Terry, the Jason Kidd, the Daryl Armstrong, the Nick Van Essel, you know, all those guys to get him the basketball and um, put him in position to get the ball. But Luca got the ball, so he knows what he wants to do. And um, – both of them is just incredible. I mean, I'm not, you know, Luca probably would be how crazy it sounds. The whiskey, I'm right down the street right now from the whiskey way, renaming a road out there. Oh man! And I don't, I don't stay too far from the arena, so I'm right down the street. As I look to the left, I could, I could see the whiskey way. So Luca's gonna have. Probably Dodgers or Luca away somewhere around that arena because they both was they both and is amazing 
European basketball player. They came to the Definitely. NBA and put their stamp on the NBA. And uh, it's fun to watch. You know, I had a chance to watch Dirk. Now I get a chance to watch Luca, And uh, it's just amazing, man, um, the things that Dirk could do. Because Dirk is – Luca is way more athletic than Dirk. Dirk is just stiff. <laughs> but you can't stop that big fella. Yeah. That step back fadeaway is unguardable. Oh, how many, how many, how many professional players you see try to do that? You know, Durant. You, you see other guys trying to do those, those things that Dirk done, and uh, it's just amazing to watch, and it was amazing to be a part of, and and uh, you know, sometimes you get a chance to watch greatness. I've been around Shaq, I've been around Penny, I've been around T Mac, I've been around uh, Grant Hill, I've been around Dirk, I've been around now Luca. I mean, that's that's amazing to watch, you know. And you can't ask for for more. Yeah, I mean, we as kids tried to imitate Dirk's step back and Dirk's fadeaway too. So you know, never to any success because Dirk's is too good and we're short. But <laughs> going back to something you talked about a-, a while ago, which is you know scheming against Kobe when when you were a player, when going to the film room and and trying to guard against Kobe. During y'all's 2011 run as an assistant coach when you're on the Mavs, you guys swept the Lakers, who at that point had been to the finals three years in a row in the conference semifinals. So did you try and implement some similar things that you talked about implementing in the in, the, in that film session when you were a player on the Mavs to, to use against Kobe when, when y'all swept them? Was that mainly a defensive win in that series, or do you guys just have a better team offensively? Well, uh, it was a defensive win. Um and then we had J. Kidd guarding them late in the game. Uh, I always say J. Kidd used to get away with a lot of fouls late in the game because he had respect from the from the referees. And uh, I never forget. Um, I don't know if it was game one. Um, we down sixteen late in the third or something. We put Corey Brewer in. Corey Brewer is a two-time NCAA champion. Knows how to win. He was guarding Kobe, even though Kobe go, uh, even th- even though Kobe scored twice on him. Um, Corey Brewer gave us energy. I don't know where it came from. He just gave us energy. He hit a three. He got an alley hoop dunk, dunk, and um, like I say, well, look up. We back in the game, you know. And um, next thing you know, we come down and we get a stop. At the end of the game, where Kobe slipped and J. Kidd was on him, and I don't know if it was a foul or not, but late late in the game, they're not gonna call that, and we end up winning the game. And I remember we won game two. And this one, I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you, this one I knew, cause Dirt 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 don't talk like this. You know, I've, I've been part of Dirt for two seasons with the Dallas Mavericks, and I, you know, I. First year we lost in the semifinals to the Phoenix in Game Six, and the second year we lost the NBA Finals to Miami. So I've been with Dirk, where I know he doesn't—he doesn't talk like this. And I never forget we in a locker room. And Rick Carlisle was talking, and he brought the team in, and and I—I I knew, I knew we was gonna win the series. I'm gonna tell you, I knew we was gonna win the series after this. Um, 
Rick brought us in and Dirk, Dirk said, hey, 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 fella. He doesn't, it's not him. This is not him. <laughs> Dirk say, fellas, I've been down 0-2 and came back and won the series. He said, I've been up 2-0 and came back and lost the series. He said, let's not take this for granted. I knew when he said that. He doesn't talk like this. This is not Dirk. Dirk, six back, he scored your bucket. I knew we was going to win that series. <laughs> I didn't know we was going to sweep him. I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't know we was going to sweep him. But I knew we was going to win that series. And two games later, on a Saturday afternoon, it was hot in Dallas. Phil Jackson called his family in and all his family and friends because he was retiring. That was his last game. And I remember sitting at my desk and I used to work Jet Terry out <laughs> uh, before that. Jet, JJ, I worked him out. And uh, I remember somebody came to my desk and said, hey, DA, Jet waiting for you downstairs because in our arena we got a our practice facility used to be downstairs and upstairs jet never shot upstairs he all him and dirk always shoot downstairs he said jet waiting for you and i i looked back i said huh he said yo jet said he's downstairs i said this ain't the time jet's supposed to shoot so i go downstairs and as soon as i walk downstairs i see him downstairs my first words was this right here. I said, you ready to play? <laughs> That's my first word. I said, you ready to play? So I get downstairs, work him out. Oh, he was ready to play. Nine for 10 from three in the game. Nine for 10 in the three for the game. Stiakovich, six for six from the three. These these guys coming off a bit. J, um, JJ, that's when he got hit by the Bynum cheap shot. The Bynum cheap shot. Our bench tied the whole team for the game. Our bench had 76 points. They had, I think, 76 points. Whatever they had, I don't know. I, I want to say what they had, 76. Yo, when I walked downstairs, my first impression was, you ready to play? And he went nuts in that game. Never forget that. So. That's why I mean I mean you 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 just find the energy from guys. I mean I I I never forget that day. I never forget that series and uh, when we won it in 2011, it was just so special. Yeah, I mean that that 2011 run was probably one of the best kind of most unexpected championship runs and also in the finals you you kind of were coaching against one of the first like modern super teams with like Wade Bosch and LeBron and they were really like perimeter based, shot a lot of threes, got up and down the floor. So how was that from kind of like a coaching perspective? How how did you kind of game plan for one of the first truly modern super teams of this era? Well, excuse me. We ran we ran more of a um we ran a lot of zone. But I'm gonna tell you what was incredible was Jason Kidd was Guarding LeBron, and he was picking him up full court. <laughs> Jason Kidd was doing stuff out outside himself, and that's what takes guys and teams 
to get to a championship and win a championship, doing things outside yourself. And I, I'm, I, when the last time you seen LeBron have a final game of eight points? Mm. It was against us. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. And, um, you know, you just can see it. Sean Marion played him well. Um, you know, we just, we just, we, we, we had, you know, we had a glue about ourselves. The, these guys was locked in. And, uh, I, I watched the, I watched a game about two weeks ago where they was at on ESPN. And I didn't even realize the game. I, I, I you know, these, you know, I, I don't see so many games. Sometimes you forget the game. I didn't realize that we was down in game, one of the games in the NBA Finals in Miami, 15, 16 points, and we come back and won that game. That's when Dirk made the layup. And I, and, and I was watching it, and I never forget, and I still remember. All, Dirk looking at the guys like this when we celebrated, because Dwayne Wade missed a, a three-pointer, a desperation three-pointer. And I'll never forget, the guys ran out to dirt on the floor and was hitting him in his chest. And I ran out there. I walked where I walked out there. I wasn't running. And I remember just hitting him in his I, I said to myself, damn, you hit him hard. I hit him in the chest like, God damn it. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> and he's just looking like at us like, yo, we just came back and won this thing. And uh, so, you know, those those games is, is – it's crazy, you know. You just you just never know how you win them, the way you win them, and not knowing that uh, when they were showing the game, they were showing our fans in the stands. We had like twenty twenty thousand at the arena while we in Miami. You know those those are some special moments and, and some incredible moments. But um, you know, you just you know you just sit back and just you know you you think about it, man. It was meant for our team to win the championship that year. I mean that that was incredible. I I haven't I haven't seen team basketball like that. I think since yeah. it's been a while. I, at least the Warriors recently were all about team basketball, but they were also loaded. I don't remember a Mavs team so reliant on every single player like down the roster. It's just they had such a good chemistry, such good play in the playoffs, and it was really special. Um, I had a question for you actually about your playing career. So recently, I mean, I, I was talking to my dad about this interview and he was like, oh, Daryl Armstrong, wasn't he like the high flyer, like the dunker? And I was like, no, he's more than that. He did a lot of things. He's not an assistant coach, but my dad really like remembered you based on your dunking. So as one of the premier dunkers in the league throughout your career, you've had your share of like crazy plays, ridiculous highlights, but how did that become like your calling card initially? With the dunk? Yeah. Um probably trying to get to trying to get seen and invited to NBA camp. Um you know, you gotta show you gotta show all that you have. And uh I never forget my college coach, Jeff Capel. He told me, he said, um, that's when I left Fayetteville State. He said I had a trial for the Global Basketball Social 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 League, and um, he said, you know, whatever you do, you got to show them everything. You got to show them the spectacular things. You got to show them 
You can play defense. You know, and he told me, he said, if that ball swing around, if you throw that ball around and it gets to the other side, don't expect that ball to come back around. Because <laughs> guys are trying to prove themselves. So he just showed me so much. And then uh, for me was my athleticism. I was wanting to show, hey, this man is very athletic. He can he can dunk, you know. And, um, you know, so for me, I I was trying to show teams everything. I can play D, I can I can pass, I can shoot, I can score, I can, you know, whatever. And um, you know, for me I, I could block shots. That's that was my that was my calling card. Running down guys and blocking their shots um when they didn't think you know, I was coming. They just think people gave you know give up on plays. I never give up. I never gave up on a play. I always, I always, you know, gave it my all to the last second or whatever. So, you know, those are little things that that probably made me who I am and the way I got into this league and the opportunity I gave that. Um, you know, so I mean, I don't. I, it's it's. It's a strange thing, but, um, you know, I just, I mean, I don't know. I I always had that that extra mm to it, you know, because, uh, like I was saying, when you play this game, man, cast is coming for you. They after you. They're not, they're not, they're not going to let you just do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're trying to make a name off of you and trying to make you, you know, punish you. And, you know, I, I, I had to represent myself and I had to battle. And so what I got, I, I had earned. Right? It wasn't no, um, we're going to let you do this. I have, I have, a, I had to earn it. And in this NBA, every night and every day, every game, every situation, you got to earn what you, you do on that floor. That's why I, I respect. Curry, you know Steph Curry. I respect him. He's he's slim. I don't even know if he's bigger than me. <laughs> he's slim, but he earns everything he does on the floor. Oh, he yeah. knows how to he knows how to present his present. He knows how to take over games. Mm-hmm. And I and I love that as a as a little guy because when I when I went overseas before I got to the NBA, I went overseas. I'm five eleven. I always t- I told you I'm five eleven. They never took guards my height in Cyprus, Greece, in Spain. They never take guards this height unless you got NBA experience. Mm-hmm. I didn't have no NBA experience. Uh, I played on one of the top. I played on one of the the three guys in the in the history of college basketball. He just passed not too long ago, Johnny Newman was my coach. Johnny Newman averaged 40.3 for Ole Miss in, in college without a three-point shot. That's no just three-point like... shot. Pistol Pete. Pistol Pete was the second one. and I, I don't know who was the third one, but Johnny Newman, he was my coach in Cyprus. And uh, so, you know, you got to do 
it's amazing the extra things you got to do and the special things you got to do when you this small. They never took a point guard my size. And I, I won the player of the year, won the championship, went to Spain. I had to take a guy named Andre Turner who played in the NBA. Um, the team loved him. The city loved him. And I came in and I had to play. They, the, the city kept saying, we want Andre Turner. We want Andre Turner. So we had two exhibition games. The first game I scored the 21, and then I had a dunk in the game. Mm-hmm. Andre, Turner, Andre Turner couldn't dunk, I don't think, at that time. But he was spectacular. He was, he was a hell of an athlete. He, he went to the University of Memphis. And um, so the next game we played against the great Oscar Smith. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's a, the, the Brazilian. In 20 minutes, I mean, in 10, in, in, in four minutes, I scored 20 points. I scored five points. And I scored five points in, in 10 seconds. As soon as the tap ball, I get the ball, take the three. The guy taking the ball out of bounds, throw it right into my hand. I scored five points in 10 seconds. So I had 20 points in four minutes. I had 42 points that game. I had three dunks, two of them reverse dunks. The next day, the coach called me into the office. He's like, his name was Randy Noah, uh, Randy Noah coach at, um, coached a couple of years over in Spain. He, was, he, he knew the language, but he was American. He played in the University of, um, he played at uh, Texas a and And Randy said, he said, Daryl, I, I never seen this before. I said, what? He said, the fans is not asking for Andre Turner no more. He, I said, what, what, what's going on? He said, they, they, they trying to get season tickets to come watch you now. And in two games, I had to change that formality. Um, that was my thing. And I was small, but I was spectacular. I had a, a fight about myself. And I, I, I just had to change it because overseas, they don't play. If, if they got a feeling about you, in two or three games, you can be gone. Mm-hmm. They can replace you. They can replace you over there. And they will replace you over there just like that. And so I had to change their mind. I had to get going. And that same year, playing for the Spanish team, I ended up joining the Orlando Magic for the next nine years at the end of the year because of the way I played. Yeah, so, I mean, on your time as in, on the Magic in, in 99, you won Most Improved Player of the Year and Sixth Man of the Year. That's the first time and only time that's ever happened where one player has won both those awards in the same season. And I know that you've talked about during that 99 season, uh, you had rotator cuff surgery, and uh, that that beginning of that season was, was the lockout, the 99 lockout. So you talked a little bit about how having that longer break helped you recover from your injury and come back really strong and obviously win those two awards and, you know, put together historic seasons. So considering the the situation we're in now with the league shut down and from your own experience in recovering from injuries, do you think that some current NBA players, maybe someone even like Chris Stops on the Mavs, can use this time to recover from their injuries and bounce back stronger? Well, I mean, he, he he's, he's back strong. Um, you know, for him, the things that he went through, 
Um, he, he he was really getting back into his groove before all this stuff started happening. And then the, one of the best things probably from for him was Luca went out and then everybody looked upon him to be the leader and he, he shined. Um, so, I mean, for me, I, I, I saw him. I mean, even watching him in voluntary workouts, um, he really played well for us. Uh, you know, from pickup, I, I saw him. He scored a basketball. He was scoring twos and threes. and He just loved to be on the floor. He just loved to play the game. I, uh, so, for me, I, I mean, I thought, I thought he, was, he was on his grind already back before the suspension. And, and all he was going to do was get better and better. Uh, him and Luca was going to figure it out together. And, um, you know, here we go with the stoppage, you know. So, you know, uh, hopefully when we, if we get back and when we do get back, it'll be good and it'll be great to see these guys get back, back to playing basketball the way they was playing. Yeah, I mean, it's tough for everyone right now. But we got we got one last question for you, if you don't mind. So Penny once said about your play and about like your diving for loose balls, all out energy, taking charges. He said, and I quote, he's a spark plug. When he's in the game, good things happen. And ultimately the magic ended up putting you in their hall of fame, which is a super honor. Like only the fifth player ever to be inducted. Um, can you talk a little about kind of when you first learned about that induction and how Orlando really like impacted your family, you kind of just the city in general, how the effect it had on you? Uh, you, I'm not trying to cry this morning now. There you go. I'm not trying to cry, but um, uh, I was at practice. It was at practice, and um, after practice, I came back to my desk, and I saw Alex, uh, Alex Smith, uh, Alex, I'm sorry, Alex Martin. Um, he called me, and as soon as I saw that call, I'm not gonna tell you no lie, cause I. I, I ain't seen Alex Martin name the president for the Magic. So I ain't never seen his phone number or his name on my phone. And right away, I knew what it was. Mm-hmm. And I, I got teary-eyed. I was like, damn, let me call this number back. All right, I called the number back, and he was telling me, yo, uh, we're going to induct you into the NBA Hall of um, Orlando Magic Hall of Fame because it's only been Nick Anderson, their first draft pick, Shaq, Penny, and T Mac. Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. I'm the fifth. A, a kid that was a walk on and everything that he's done, and now it's the fifth player ever in the history of the Orlando Magic to be in that Hall of Fame. So as soon as I saw that number, I was like, man, stop, God. You you playing with me? That's what I said. You playing with me, God? Stop. <laughs> and uh, when I called him back and he told me, man, it was it was just amazing, man. I mean, but that's 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 that should show kids if you trust and you believe in your ability, you listen to you listen to your coaches. Listen to what they got to say because sometimes they have messages that you might not hear or see. 
And like I said, the message that I heard was Jeff Capo telling me I can make it to the next level. And um, I just took it to heart. And um, like I said, good things has, has happened since then. And um, I'm, I've been blessed to be around this game, man. I mean, man, this is the best. I, I, love, I love football. That's my first love. But this game has been one of the best games in my life that I ever done and ever been in. And you can't ask for more to travel and play in Cyprus, Greece, um, Spain, Orensi, Spain. And I've been in Barcelona. I've been in Real Madrid. It's people that don't even get a chance to go out the country. You know, I don't have a chance to be over there. I then come back and play in the best league in the world, the NBA. And, you know, it's just, it's been a blessing. I mean, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't lie to you, man. I, 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 I live, I live every day through what I have been through as a player and as a coach, and I enjoy it. I enjoy, you know, everything that I, I have been through and done, and all the hard work has paid off. You know, and uh, it's fun for me to talk to guys like yourself and uh, other guys who does podcasts and things like that to, you know, reflect on where I've been and what I've done. And uh, it's great. No, yeah, your NBA lifetime of experience is like more than so many people can ask for. You have such a diverse array of things you've done, player, assistant coach, winning championships. So it means the world that you decided to talk to us. Like We really appreciate it. No, you're welcome, man. Hey, we all, hey, I know y'all, y'all, yeah, you starting, you starting your podcast. You're trying to build up, you know, whatever you got to do. And just continue to do what y'all do, man. And best of luck. And one day I might look up, y'all might be on Showtime. Never done <laughs> Yeah, th- thank you so much, man. We really appreciate it. You, you were a great guest. You gave us a lot of insights. And we hope we ask good enough questions for you that, you know, you enjoyed this interview. But once again, really, really appreciate it. All right, when y'all get big, when y'all get big now, big, big, y'all invite me back, man. Don't, don't leave me out on the hay. Oh, we will. Don't worry. I appreciate you. All right, fellas. Take care. Thank you. All right. Stay blessed. Huge shout out to Daryl for joining us on our podcast. He had some really insightful stuff, really inspirational man. He had a long career, transitioned really well into assistant coaching and We're super glad he could join us. He had a lot of stuff to say and we're thankful to him. Hope he's staying safe and hope y'all are staying safe. And we're going to keep coming up with some new content. So stay tuned, stay safe, wash your hands. Yeah, guys, wash your hands. Stay safe. Peace.